Good morning, church. Let's stand together. Let's worship. If you haven't found joy already, let's find out joy in the Lord this morning. Shout out your praise. 
right, you may be seated. Good morning, PCBC. All right, let's try that again. Good morning, PCBC. There we go. I know you guys were more lively than that as we sang. David tells us in the Psalms to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I hope that that can be something that we all experience here today. If you're a guest with us, we're thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Uh, we would love to connect with you further and just get a little, a little bit more information about who you are, why you're here, and connect with you um, and, uh, and just continue to get to know you. So there's two ways that you can do that. One is to scan this QR code with your phone. Uh, and the second is to use a connection card, which you'll find right there in the seat back in front of you. If you're a member here at PCBC, you're part of the PCBC family, this is a way for you to stay connected and for us to stay connected to you and your lives as well. Prayer requests, praise, whatever it is that you want to share with us, we would love to be able to hear what's going on in your life and what those needs may be. So please take advantage of that, if you will. Last thing I need to mention, you guys know this, it's kind of the routine, but... Wednesday nights, we have a meal provided at 5 o'clock. It's 3 bucks a person. You can't eat any cheaper anywhere out there than that, all right? So if you want to come and join us, we would love to have you on Wednesday nights at 5 o'clock. There's a place on our app where you can register and sign up for that. So please, if you can, do that. It lets us know how many to prepare for in general. All right, I'll stop talking and let you guys get up and move around a little bit. Stand up. Go find someone maybe you don't know, maybe you've never seen before. Introduce yourself. Get to know someone. I'm going to have you, everyone, move back to your seats, but you will stay standing up. Come on back into your seats, but stay standing up. As we move into our uh, time of prayer this morning, you know, one of the things that we have heard a lot about throughout our nation, and I'm sure you've paid a little bit of attention to it, is that idea of revival. Revival has been taking place in different areas of our country, and I think it's one of those situations that we would all say, I wish that we could experience revival. I think most believers would say that in their own lives, right? I wish that God would do something so powerful in our midst that we would be able to know that he is here. I think there's an old quote that says something to the extent of, you can't change the wind, but you can adjust your sails. You can't fabricate revival. You can't make it take place, but you can set your sails to be ready for that whenever that takes place, whenever God chooses to move. And so I think that's one of the things that we as a church, as Putnam City Baptist Church, need to prepare ourselves if, in fact, God chooses to do a revival in our hearts and our lives, and that is to set our sails. And as we begin to have this uh, opportunity this morning to pray, there's a few things that I want us to consider as we pray this morning. First of all, as we think about this idea of revival happening in our midst, I would say that we should pray 
protect my heart from being distracted from you because there's all kinds of things that can distract our hearts from God. As a matter of fact, James 4, James chapter 4, it tells us that if you love the world more than God, then you've made yourself to be an enemy of God. And I want you to understand that it is in our world that the world is doing everything to try to consume our minds with thoughts of the world and not thoughts of God. So we ought to pray, protect my heart from being distracted from you, God. Prepare my heart to be willing to follow you, even if it makes me uncomfortable. That's the part that we don't like, isn't it? We don't want to be uncomfortable. We want God to do something in our lives and just do it so that we're not uncomfortable. But I want you to understand that anytime God moves, He calls us to repent and change our hearts and our lives and our minds in ways that sometimes are uncomfortable. So we ought to pray, God, prepare my heart, even if it makes me uncomfortable. Prevent my heart from wanting more than you, wanting anything else more than you. Prevent my heart from doing that and produce a revival in my church and in my heart right here, right now. I want to ask some of you, if you're willing, would you come and kneel down and bow down and let's ask God, let's call out to our Father to say, Lord, would you move in our midst? Would you move in my heart? If you're willing, would you come down even right now? Come and just kneel down and use this as an opportunity that you would call out to God, that you would ask Him to do something in our midst that only He can do and ultimately that you would set your sails so that you might catch the wind that God is blowing. I do want to read a portion of this scripture. As you begin to pray, begin to pray some of those things. And as you pray those, hear what the word says in James 4. Do you not suppose that it is no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God says a God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, under the hand of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Father, we confess that there's nothing that we can do to create a revival. There's nothing that we can do to fabricate anything that we would be able to call a move of God. Father, we would desire that our hearts would be prepared if you choose to bless us with such an event. Father, I pray that even in our midst today that you would help us to see that we must cleanse our hands. We must mourn over our sin. We must submit our lives under your hand and your authority and your power and your rule in every aspect of our hearts and our lives. So I would pray, Father, that if there is anyone here today that is refusing to submit themselves under your rule, that you would show them the areas of their life that they have refused to submit to you. Not for the purpose of feeling horrible, but Lord, for the purpose of repenting and turning towards you, knowing that that is the place by which you will use in our lives to move and change us and give us the joy that we so long for. Father, I would ask that you would help us in the midst of this room this morning to set our eyes upon you in such a way that we would not be distracted by the things of the world, that we would not allow the things of the world to capture our hearts. Oh Lord, Forgive us where we have done that and help us to move away from those things so that we might experience the life that you desire to give to us. 
Father, would you, would you allow each and every person in this room to set their sails, to catch whatever wind you blow so that you might move us in the direction you would have us go. And Father, I pray that you would allow Putnam City Baptist Church to be a place that you would move, that we would not be able to question because it is so evident that you are here. Father, would you do something so great in our lives that we would be so enraptured by your glory that we would want nothing else. We ask these things, Jesus, by your name.
Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for your son and your salvation. We thank you for the presence of your spirit active and working daily in our lives and in the lives of Christians all the way around the world, Lord. We thank you for holding the world in the palm of your hand. Our problems, our issues, Lord, you are more powerful than all of it. I pray that whatever we come against, we stand boldly. We stand on your promises, Lord, holding true to your word and what you say, not what we think, not what we can imagine, Lord, but lean not on our own understanding. Pray that we declare you, that you are the truth, that you are the life, Lord. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. We thank you for your sacrifice, and we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So um, for me, Crash Weekend was a really good time for me to just reflect on how I'm living my own personal life and uh, like re refocus, kind of recenter, you know, um, kind of like how after a while, like your back gets out of place and like a chiropractor helps you with that. Like just kind of like to help refocus my life. And then it was also a really nice time to just like get to know people better that I didn't know and like bond with people that I already know. And it's just a really, really fun weekend. Uh, I got to spend with everybody. Peanut got baptized on Sunday, so that was great. I thought it was fun. It was like a cool lifestyle, hanging out with a bunch of ninth graders. I really liked the sermons. Um, so our main topic was about like commitment and stuff like that. And one thing I really liked was the first night he gave a list of different ways that God's committed to us. And that, I really like that because I always think of God as someone that like, oh yeah, he's merciful to us. He loves us, stuff like that, but I never, have really thought about how he is like fully committed to us. Um, and what I really liked about that was then he said like, God's fully committed to us, so he doesn't ask for a half committed follower. He doesn't want us to be half committed. Um, so it was just a really great weekend to kind of recommit to God and kind of look, see like how that would play out in my daily life, see how I can be fully committed to God throughout my life. Just a highlight from some of the testimonies that came out of Disciple Now weekend or Crash weekend. And uh, I want to thank the church for praying for our students. Keep doing that. Don't stop praying for that next generation. Well, we're in a 30-day challenge called the 30-Day Kindness Challenge. If you haven't signed up yet, I'll tell you how you can do that in a minute. But I'm going to let you just practice some kindness right now. Turn around to all those around you and say something kind to your neighbor. Go ahead. All throughout the room, say something kind. Be kind. So I wish you could see what I see. As I watch that happen, it's amazing how just that accountability to kindness changed the whole spirit of the room. We went from dead heads to all of a sudden big smiles broke out on people's faces. Uh, now, maybe you found it humorous trying to be kind, or maybe you were blessed by somebody who was kind to you. It's just not natural to invest in kindness. It's way easier to invest in not being kind. And so we're being challenged with a 30-day challenge, and what you just did may not have been kind. It's possible that maybe you were just nice just then. Did you know there's a difference between being nice and being kind? That you can be nice but not kind, but you cannot be kind without being nice. 
there's a distinction, there's a difference. Nice might have been, hey, good to see you. Hey, man, you look great today. That's nice. God bless you. That's good. But that's not necessarily kind. Growing up in the South, we are kind of taught Southern hospitality, how to be nice. And we will be nice on the surface, and yet we can still be some of the most unkind people on the planet. Just because we're nice on the surface doesn't mean we are living a kind testimony. And so we're taking a 30-day challenge. You want to know how you can get in on that? You can look at this next slide, and at the bottom it tells you, uh, jointhekindnesschallenge.com. If you will go to that website today, if you haven't done it already, uh, you can find their webpage, and across the top they've got a couple things for you. One uh, I've got highlighted here is the assessment part. Before you do 30 days of kindness and being challenged to be kind, you take a pre-challenge assessment, and it will give you a, either a cartoon character or a movie character of where you are today on the kindness scale. Um, most of those characters aren't very kind. It'd be interesting to see which one you are before you start the 30 days. There's also a link to sign up for the challenge, and you can do this anytime. But when you sign up, every day you'll get an email. Every morning when I wake up, there is an email waiting for me that gives me steps of accountability in that moment. And you choose a relationship you really want to improve because statistics show that when we engage with kindness, it will transform any relationship. So the challenge that you take, um, if you look at the next slide, it will show you there are three things that you commit to do. Number one, say nothing negative about that person, either to them or even about them. Try that for 30 days. See how that works. Not as easy as it looks. But let me just challenge you with how powerful that can be. I don't know if you've been following local news, but just not so many days ago, a freshman at Edmond Santa Fe High School took his life. A freshman on a baseball team that's entering into some of the best years of life, supposedly, took his life. They believe it hadn't been proven yet, but it looks like the classic case of bullying. People who said negative things did negative things, thinking it was cute, thinking that's just part of life and part of maybe even hazing. We can justify it all day long, but we do not understand how critical a spirit of kindness really is in other people's lives. Tragically, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he'll use you as his pawn in the game of life to steal somebody else's joy. So in the kindness challenge, we make a commitment not to say anything negative. Number two, to daily find ways, one positive way to reach out to that person, to do something kind. And then we find ways to invest in that relationship intentionally. And so we're going to dig into scripture. Why the challenge? Well, I just proved to you right here in our own backyard the importance of being kind in our culture. The importance, especially for this generation, we are growing up through social media, which has conditioned us to be self-absorbed, self-seeking, and self-promoting. And within all that selfish perspective, it has caused us not to be kind, but to be rude and to be cruel. The exact opposite of what Jesus said should be the compass for our life. He was challenged and said, what is the greatest verse in all of Scripture? 
Jesus immediately replied, that's simple. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like the first. It's right there with it. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus said, yeah, it's important that you have a love relationship with God, but, but what good is that relationship with God is if you have terrible relationships with other people? That a relationship with God and your love for God and experience in His love should translate in the relationships you have here on earth, the way you love other people. And so we are using this challenge. We are accepting that challenge that for the next 30 days we want to engage in what matters to God, the way we love Him through the way we love other people. Last week we saw an example through David, how David experienced kindness from a guy named Jonathan. And Jonathan, being the rightful next uh, to inherit the throne of Israel, his dad was king, King Saul, their first king they ever had. It was the way you continued that power struggle or structure in any country, is that when the king died, his firstborn was the one who was to sit on the throne. Jonathan was next in line. And yet God picked a guy named David. They both served in the army. They both knew each other. And Jonathan could have hated David. He could have seen David as somebody who was stealing his future. But Jonathan chose to love David unconditionally. Out of that, they entered into a strong friendship, uh, a bond unlike any other. And in that moment and later in that friendship, Jonathan asked David for a covenant, a covenant that they would not only experience loving kindness in their lifetime, but knowing that David would be king, knowing that David would be a man of power and significance, that he would not see Jonathan's legacy or lineage as a threat to that throne and that he would show loving kindness in return. And we saw that show up as Jonathan would be killed in battle. He would have a son named Mephibosheth. And David didn't do what other kings did at that time. He didn't go after all the ones that were threats to the throne through Saul and Jonathan, but he invited Mephibosheth into the palace and into his family, and he showed him loving kindness. It wasn't just a day. It wasn't just on occasion. It wasn't just a holiday. It was every day. Every day, David loved on Mephibosheth just like Jonathan had loved on him. And so I want us to dig in on this concept that may not seem real spiritual. It may seem like a Hallmark Channel movie, but it's actually the heart of God. I want you to see it. Turn to Psalm 25 this morning. Go to Psalm 25, and we'll start in verse 4. When you look into the Old Testament, sometimes you don't think about a loving God. Most people think of God of the Old Testament as the angry old man who's judgmental and harsh, cruel. It's not who God is. The psalmist understood that. In verse 4, he says, God, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. What the psalmist understood is that if we live life in our own person, in our own direction, we always step out of bounds. And so the psalmist said, God, you've got to guide my path. I, I need you to teach me your path. I want to be where you are and what you have designed. Verse 5, so lead me in your truth. And teach me not my culture's truth not what somebody else says is true what God's word what God has declared to be true he said God teach me for you are the God of my salvation 
So here's what we know about the psalmist. He wasn't just a deist who understood there was a God. He wasn't just talking to the creator of his life and the universe. He was talking to the God of his salvation. And out of that personal relationship with God, it transformed the way he looked at life. He said, for you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your what? Loving kindness. That's what changed his life. And that's what he knew needed to guide his life. He was saying, God, I need you to teach me how to live the life that I have in you. This salvation that is mine is not just so I have a ticket to heaven someday. It is a, it is a new direction of life. And God, I want to live according to your loving kindness. Bible scholars have uh, wrestled with this concept, this word that we translate loving kindness. In the Hebrew, it's hesed or chesed. It literally means more than what that word loving kindness conveys. When we think of loving kindness, we think of being nice. That's not what this word is teaching. If you actually were to dig in the Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but if you dig in on it, they tell us that this word actually means a covenant loyalty. We don't have an English word for it. Bible scholars would tell you there's no word in our language that we can even accurately translate this concept. Best we can do is loving kindness. Certainly God has been lovingly kind to us, but it's deeper than that. It's not just God wanting to be nice and saying, oh, I don't want to see anybody go to hell, so I'll be nice, I'll turn my head this time. No, no, no. It is a covenant loyalty that is demonstrated in an act of grace. But what is grace? It's an act that God takes because he has cut covenant with us. It's an act that he chose to do for us who didn't deserve the grace. It's showing up and giving to someone what they need, not what they deserve. Every one of us deserves separation from God for all of eternity. We've turned our back on God and his ways time and time and time again. But God is a God of hesed. A covenant-keeping, loyal God who declared to you and me, I will never leave you, will I never, ever will forsake you. The enemy loves to whisper in our ear and say, you know, God's a million miles away. God doesn't love you or this wouldn't have happened or, or you wouldn't be experiencing this. God isn't there for you. God, No, 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 that's a lie. Because he is a covenant-keeping, lovingly kind God who loves you and wants you to know that love. But in this earth and in this lifetime, we don't experience love that way. We get love when we are lovable. We get love when we give love. We get love when we do the right thing. But God gives you that love and demonstrated that love when you were a sinner, not a saint. Not when you had everything together. God showed his loving kindness when we did not deserve it. And so what we learn from this dimension of God is that kindness is not rooted in our feelings and emotions. How many times do we get stirred up and we see somebody hurting or somebody who is needy and, and, and we watch television and we see all them puppies with all missing an eye and a leg and so we'll donate money and we'll do something kind. It's not kindness. I mean, that's, that's nice. It's a nice thing to do. We should do nice things. We should be nice. But loving kindness is way deeper and way bigger than just being nice. 
It is proactive and it is reactive. It is engaging and it meets a need in the moment, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what they've done. It's reaching out usually to someone who doesn't deserve it, rather than somebody who's easy to love. Uh, I dare you to find Micah this morning in the Bible. Find Micah. There may be a Micah sitting out there. Find one in your Bible. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Yes, that's in the Bible. We have a prophet here speaking, and listen to this wisdom and this truth. When you think about this kindness thing, it doesn't sound real spiritual, and yet it's one of the most spiritual things a person can be a part of. Take a look at it. Matthew or Micah 6 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Have you ever asked that question? God, what is it that you would want from my life? God, what would you require of me? Lord, I've received your loving kindness. God, you've saved me from my sin. What would you require of me? Not that we have to earn our way into heaven. Not that we're buying that. But listen to what God says. God has instructed us. Here's what he requires of our life surrendered to him. That we are to live justly. Do what's right. That's where we get the word righteous. And to love kindness. It's amazing to me how brutal our culture has become. And we've always struggled this throughout human history. You can go back to the very first family. I mean, good grief. Talk about sibling rivalry. The first brothers got so bad, one of them killed the other brother. I was willing to go there if God would have given me permission with my little brother growing up, right? I mean, that ain't easy, always living under the same roof, but give me a break. And so we struggle in relationships. We get real, but man, it has become even more magnified year after year in our culture. We have become a more brutal people than ever before. God wants us to love kindness. Cherish that. And to walk humbly with our God. That's what God requires. So let's dig into scripture and let's see what does it mean to love kindness. Again, not niceness, kindness. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Flip over in the New Testament, find Colossians chapter 3. What I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to look at it verse by verse through a portion of chapter 3. So hold your place in Colossians and then as we see a principle, we're going to go over to other parts of scripture and we're going to see God reaffirm that truth over and over again. So watch it. Go to verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. You're going to be stunned to see how often the scriptures talk about God's loving kindness showing up in us who've experienced that loving kindness. But not only are we to expect God to be kind to us, but we're supposed to then as we receive that loving kindness, God's forgiveness and grace, we're to be conduits of that loving kindness and grace to other people who don't deserve it, just like we didn't deserve it ourselves. So look at verse 12. He says, So as to those who have been chosen of God, so he reminds them, guys, remember you were chosen. It speaks of God's covenant, that God chose a way for you to have a relationship with him. God chose to look past our sin, not just look past it and say, oh, I'm just going to do something nice and forgive him. No, to make a way, it was costly. It was God engaging in our lostness. And while we were sinners, God demonstrated his love by sending his son, Jesus. 
that is the loving kindness of God. Not just trying to be a nice guy, but God being just and God being loving and God paying the price for those of us who didn't deserve it. So those of you who have covenant with God, you've experienced that loving kindness because he's a covenant loving God. You are to be holy and beloved. You are to put on a heart of compassion and a heart of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Notice there, hopefully it jumped out at you what he said. He just didn't say be kind. He said put on kindness. Now that isn't a put on where you're just putting on a show or you're just trying to be nice so you can look like a good person who really does love God and it's a put on. No, no, no. That word put on literally means what you did this morning. When you came to church today, you gave, I hope, some serious consideration to what you were going to wear. You just didn't wake up. You didn't go to sleep looking like this, I hope. And you thought about, what am I going to put on to go to church? Paul's saying that when you wake up every day, you have to make a conscious choice to put on, to, to, to put an outer garment over you, to put on kindness. What that tells us is it's not natural to be kind. What that tells us is most of the time we're going out, and they were too. You're going to see often the Holy Spirit would remind Paul to bring this truth to believers throughout all this region of his ministry. That It's usually the opposite that comes from our life. We usually just naturally are unkind, but he said, no, you've got to put on kindness. Go to Ephesians. Hold your place in Colossians. Go to Ephesians 4, verse 24. We're going to see the similar counsel. We're going to see Paul instruct them on not to be nice, but to be kind. Watch this. Ephesians 4, verse 24. Paul says, speaking to another group of believers, put on the new self. There's that term, put on again. He reminds them, if you don't make a choice daily, you will not be these things. You aren't going to be kind. Put on that outer garment. Let that be what covers you, that you are known. And they look at you and they see your outer garment. They see kindness from your life. Guys, tomorrow when you go to school, that's not the popular thing to walk around being kind, especially to your teachers, especially to a substitute teacher. Oh, talk about easy prey, right? I can't tell you how many times we were brutally cruel to a substitute teacher growing up. Can't even imagine what it's like today when you get away with anything. Back then, they still gave whoopings, and we still went there. It's easy to be unkind. But he says, put on the new self. You should be putting Christ on every day. You should be walking in a new way, in a new life, in the new self, created in the righteousness and the holiness of truth. Jump down to verse 32. What does that look like, this new life we have in Christ? He says, here's what it looks like. It means to be kind to one another. I wonder how many believers at Edmund Santa Fe had a chance to love on that freshman to reverse the curse of those who were harassing, who were bullying that young man. And they missed the opportunity to be Christ in their school. What about you guys? Mom and Dad, what about us in our neighborhood and where we work? Verse 32. So he said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. 
So it's amazing. He, he ties this concept of kindness being the fruit of a life that's been forgiven. And so that's the point I want you to write down. Kindness, this loving kindness, is not being nice. It shows up in the form of forgiving people and unconditionally loving them where they are. Are you willing to be that kind of testimony? Go back to Colossians 3. He reinforces it. So he says, same thing, Colossians 3, same sermon. He reminds them. Now you're in Colossians 3, verse 13, the next verse. So bear with one another. Forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Do you see the theme? You can be nice to somebody and not forgive them. But if you are being kind, it shows up in forgiveness. Kindness is forgiveness. Everybody in this room probably has an unforgiven list. Somebody on that list that you just cannot forgive. And you may have great reason. You may have great justification. But can I tell you, I gave God all kinds of reasons why he didn't have to forgive me. Yet God was loving kind to me when I didn't deserve it. And I had no problem receiving that gift from heaven. I had no problem saying, God, thank you for forgiving somebody like me and yet I'm not going to let that same God live through me towards somebody else you see the hypocrisy of that but do you also see how easy it is to be unforgiving that's why Paul had to continue to remind him guys you can't just receive grace and not give it put on the cloak of kindness let me show you Luke chapter 6 it goes on Luke chapter 6. Hold your place in Colossians. We'll be back. Let me show you this again. Luke 6, verse 35. Luke 6, 35. All right, here's goodness, loving kindness again. In case you didn't get it, he says, hey, it's not just for certain people. You're even supposed to love your enemies. Are you kidding me? How's that fair? They're my enemies for a reason. Well, you know what? The Bible says we were enemies to God in our sin. We were on the wrong side, we were on the opposite side, and it cost the Son of God his very own innocent life. Love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. God has demonstrated who he is, and if he lives in you, the Bible is saying because that's who God is, that's who he will be through your life. He is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So you got an enemy? You got somebody you can't forgive? Wrong. You got a person that is an object of God's loving kindness, and God wants to use you in that life. Go back to Colossians 3.14. Anybody feeling kind all of a sudden? Look at Colossians 3.14. He goes on to explain even more what it looks like. So he says, beyond all these things, put on love. Yes, forgive, but put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now that word love there is different than the word we use for love. In the American or in the English language, we use love for multiple expressions. We can love certain things. We can love doing things. We can love... Uh, somebody as a friend we can love them as our spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend 
we can use that word love so loosely. This is targeted agape love. Forgive and love. Kindness shows up in the way we love people. It is an unconditional love. For God so, say John 3.16 with me. For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave his life. Only for the lovable? Only for those who loved him? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God demonstrated his love. God acted on that love. And he gave that love to all of us who didn't deserve it. We only love those who we want to love. We only love those who are lovable. And we barely do that well. God's word says that his loving kindness through us shows up in forgiveness and it shows up in the way we love one another. Now we're going to see in verse 15, Colossians 3 verse 15, that that can only happen because your heart is surrendered to the king. Take a look at it, verse 15. So now he says, as he challenges them to do these things, he now tells them the only way that can happen is this. Look at it. By letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That word rule there literally is a word that translates to what we would call an umpire. Don't you just love umpires? Referees? Some of our favorite people on the planet, right? Wrong. And what he is saying in this is he's saying... What's the reason for an umpire or a referee? It's to make sure that people don't step out of bounds, that people don't cheat, that people don't take advantage, that it is a fair deal, that they are in charge of the game having its integrity. And Paul is saying, you got, if you're going to live a life like this that is kind, you've got to have the right umpire, the right referee of your heart. And it's the peace of Christ. So the enemy wants to rob you and wants to replace the umpire. He wants, instead of the peace of Christ ruling your hearts, he wants anger to rule your heart. He wants unforgiveness to rule your heart. He wants bitterness to rule your heart. He wants hypocrisy to rule your heart. He'll fill your heart. He'll put anything on that throne but Christ. But if Jesus is truly the Lord of our heart, then what comes from our heart will show up in the way we treat other people. So look at what he says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called into one body, and be thankful. And as you do that, as you allow Christ to be the ruler of your heart, verse 16 says, then you are to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I think the reason we receive the loving kindness of God but aren't kind in our testimony is because we're not letting Christ rule our hearts and we're not in the Word. Now notice what I didn't say. It doesn't mean you aren't reading the Word. You can read the Word. You can hear the Word preached on Sunday morning. You can be in Sunday school. You can go to crash weekend. You can know what the Word of God says. That doesn't make you kind. Paul said it's got to dwell in you. Some of the most proficient people in all of Scripture were the Pharisees. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. Think about that. By the time they were age 10 or 12, I think it is, if I, if I remember what I've read before, they had to memorize the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Memorized all of that. 
Anybody get excited about those books? They had it memorized. They knew it word for word, and they were some of the most unkind people on the planet. They were the rudest and the cruelest to Jesus and others in their city. Just because they were reading the word, just because they were knowledgeable of the word, the word was not dwelling in them. And boy, is that happening in churches across our land today. Some of the most unkind people on the planet are in church, not at PCBC, but in churches in this country today. And they're going to walk out of the churches and waitresses and waiters will tell you the rudest customers they have any day of the week happens on Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons after church. Are you kidding me? Oh, but God needs to be kind to us so we can let the world know they're dying and going to hell. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ ritually dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Yes, engage. Yes, walk in your spirituality. But do that as you let the word of Christ dwell in you. And here's what happens, verse 17. Here comes the closer. Watch what he says. So now through all this, yes, we know we need the loving kindness of God. And if that's in our lives, we will be forgiving and we will be loving and we'll be compassionate. We are to put that on daily and we're to go in this new life we have. And then it shows up, watch this, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the name of Jesus. Every word that we text, that we type, that we say, should be kind. Everything we do our deeds should show up and reflect the kindness of God. Covenant loyalty. When they challenged Jesus and said, okay, tell us, tell us what's the greatest thing we can be a part of on this planet. And he said, love God and love your neighbor. They then tried to be cute and say, okay, so tell us who our neighbor is. They wanted to out clause. So that our neighbors must mean our fellow Jews. It must be those who are of the seed of Abraham those who live in our city, those in Jerusalem. And we have every right not to love those who don't love you, God, right? Who's our neighbor? You remember Jesus answered with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he sets up shop and here comes a good Jew who sees the man in the ditch about to die. And without help, he certainly is a dead man. And he walks on by because he's afraid it might happen to him. And then comes the rabbi. The one who teaches the Jew. And he walks by. And then came the scum of the earth. A Samaritan. And he sees that man in the ditch. That man who he knows hates him. That man whose whole nation has made our people miserable. And they bullied us. And they've told us we're unclean and we're dogs. And that man stopped. That man did something about that Jewish man's need. And in that story, Dr. Martin Luther King said about that parable, he said the first two people saw the wounded man and asked the question, if I help, what will happen to me? But the third man looked at the same man and asked a different question. He asked, if I don't help, 
what will happen to him? They had a whole different response. And out of that, Jesus taught him who was, who was the one who loved his neighbor. It was the one that wasn't concerned about what it meant for him or what he got out of it, but realizing if I don't do something for that man, what will happen to him? So guys, who's somebody at your school? That something bad's about to happen to them unless somebody like you steps into their world. Mom and dad, what about, what about your spouse who's feeling like they don't measure up and they fall way too short and we've reminded them how short they fall up? What about somebody in your workplace that knows you go to church on Sunday morning but they watch you treat everybody else in the office, they watch you treat them completely different than what they see Scripture says we should be doing. Don't just receive the loving kindness of God and say, oh, wow, sweet, I get to go to heaven. Let's make sure that we're letting that loving kindness change the way we live. So look at this last thing. You've got to see it. It's powerful. Luke chapter 10. Let me show you the rest of that Good Samaritan story. Don't miss this. You see, that Good Samaritan wasn't just a nice guy. He didn't do just a nice thing. This was a guy who was kind. There's a difference. A nice guy at least stops. A nice guy helps a hurting person. A kind man takes it the extra mile. Look at this. I've, I've overlooked this in the story. But this week it became so real. Look at verse 35. Look at this. On the next day, so here's the deal. He stops. He bears this man's burden. He doesn't just stop and say, hey, I'll pray for you. He doesn't put a Band-Aid on the wound. He loads him up. He takes him into town. He drops him off at an innkeeper in a place where he can heal up, and he pays the bill. Check. I did my act of kindness. God noticed me. Look, I even did that for a Jew. Now watch this. He wakes up the next morning. He comes to the innkeeper, and he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him. What's he doing? He's making sure that he didn't put a Band-Aid on a bleed-out. He knows that this man's going to need more care, and he still has to move on, but he just doesn't move on and say, I did my part, now somebody else take over. He continued to invest in the need. And he told the innkeeper, please take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. I've missed this part of the story. I missed the heart of the Samaritan. It wasn't just a nice guy. It was a guy who lived a kind testimony. He just didn't do an act of kindness. He was kind. He continued on and was invested in that need. Beyond the moment and beyond a day, he remained in the need. Until he knew that man was whole. That man was okay. Until I return. I will be back. I will not stop. And I'll do whatever it takes for this man to be healthy and whole. What a beautiful picture. I was recently eating dinner with some folks in our church. I meant to tell this in the first service. I didn't get to. And they were telling us about their one. Who's your one? And this lady works with someone who grew up in Mongolia, lives here in the United States, and she's been trying to share Christ for a long, long time. And they have made great progress. That person has gone back to Mongolia for a year to help take care of an ailing parent. And they are saving up their money. And they're going to burn their vacation this year. 
and they're going to take a trip to Mongolia. Anybody got that on your bucket list for vacation, Mongolia? If you know where it is, watch Mulan. It's not a fun place to go. It is the coldest place on the planet. Nobody goes to Mongolia. Except people who so care about this one, they want to show that person how much they mean to them. They want to go see where they live. They want to go love on their family. And they want them to know how important it is. And they're going to take a vacation to Mongolia because they want to reach that person for Christ. That's just a, an example. But it shows the extravagant engagement, the proactive approach that because God's covenant with us should change the covenant we have with other people, the way we relate to one another. So let's be kind. Not nice, kind. Let's pray about it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You pray the nursery workers are going to be kind with the pastor who went a little over today. But before we move on, wrestle with it. What are you going to do with what God's word has just shown us? Then just be nice. Anybody can be nice. But being lovingly kind shows up in the way we forgive people, the way we love our enemies, the way we engage with people. That is something only God can do in us and through us. Maybe as your head is bowed, maybe the Lord has been showing you somebody you've not been kind to recently. Maybe you need to go to that person somehow, some way. You reach out to him and say, forgive me for being unkind. Please forgive me. And maybe that's your ministry to that person you don't want to be kind to. You say, that doesn't work. It worked in my life. That's what God did for me. I was unkind to God. I didn't want anything to do with God. And God wooed me. And God loved me all the way to Calvary. He pursued me. And he acted on my behalf when I didn't ask him to. When I didn't deserve it. And that God now lives in me. And I think I have the right to live differently than he loved me. Wrong. God forgive us. Now maybe you've never experienced the love of God. Maybe you've never experienced his loving kindness. I'd encourage you to come to one of our staff and say, man, I want to know this love. I need to be forgiven by God. I want his loving kindness in my life. I want you to come and just declare that. We'll walk you through the scripture. We'll pray with you right here. We'll help you nail that down right now. But if you have received God's loving kindness, but you're not being lovingly kind in your relationships, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to change it. Take the 30-day challenge. Be all God wants you to be through the power of his Holy Spirit. Lord, bless these moments. We surrender all to you now in Jesus' name.